Helping UAE residents resolve their chronic debt issues has been a mission of the National since it launched the debt panel in April 2016. Since then, we have received hundreds, if not thousands of letters, with about 200 people receiving constructive advice from our panel of six personal finance experts. This is why we celebrated the news in November of a new personal insolvency law, which comes into effect this month, January 2020. The new law will help borrowers struggling to make repayments resolve their financial difficulties without the fear of persecution. I'm Alice Hayne, the personal finance editor of The National, and joining me today is Rory Reynolds, The National's news editor, and Matthew Dyson, an associate at law firm Pinsent Masons. Also joining us later in the show is Samira Hassan, a debtor who managed to resolve all of her debt woes in 2018. Rory, you see it in the news section as much as I do. People overloaded with debts they simply can't repay. So why is this law such a game changer? Well, until now, the UAE has criminalised debt and indeed sent people who cannot pay creditors uh, to prison in certain circumstances. We read all the time about people who have taken out excessive loans, who have uh, racked up debts too heavily on their credit cards and who have been subject to a police complaint from a creditor. I mean, this is a very significant change in the law for the UAE, um, which let's just remind ourselves is is a young country, um, less than 50 years old. And the legal system hasn't been able to keep up with the sheer pace of economic growth. The UAE isn't unique. I mean, countries have criminalized debt for many years. Until 2008, uh, Greece put people in jail for being unable to pay taxes or debts. And if you go back to uh, England, Wales in the 18th and 19th century, they would uh, send about 10,000 people a year to jail, debtors' jails as they called them. Indeed, half of the people in jail in England in uh, the 18th century were in jail because uh, they could not pay their debts. So it's no surprise that such a young country as the UAE is only bringing in this law now. Well, as, as we said, every country has had to get to this point where they are decriminalizing debt. They're taking a very a mature, long-term, flexible view on uh, debt, which is something that many people get themselves into. I mean, you can look throughout history and some of the well-known figures have, uh, have been uh, subject to debt as prisons, for example. The, the father of Charles Dickens went to jail and was, indeed was only able to get out of jail when his mother died and left him money. The UAE, like many countries, has got to the point where they have to come up with an alternative. And indeed, it is a sign of maturing economy and a maturing legal system. Absolutely. Because if you actually look back over the last few years, Rory, it's quite an interesting story. Because until 2014, we didn't have a federal credit bureau. The Al Etihad Credit Bureau was launched in 2014. And until then, people could borrow from banks, and they could borrow multiple cards, loans, because let's say um, I had 10 credit cards, I could then go to another bank and say I want a credit card. And it was quite hard for the banks to check how many other liabilities you had. In comes the credit bureau, and it changes the game massively. Because suddenly you have all of your debts declared, so to speak, it, it brings transparency to the industry. So if you go to Bank X again and say, I want another credit card, they're going to say, mm, hold on a minute, Alice, I can see you've already got 10 debts there and you can't service this new credit card. So suddenly all these people that had these multiple debts were being prevented from taking on more credit. And so it meant that they suddenly couldn't use the new debt to pay off all the old ones. And they're just swimming around in a circle. 
trying to deal with the debt collector, trying to pay a little bit of that credit card, trying to pay a bit of that loan. And they're just, we used to call them fish in a bucket. They were swimming, they were going nowhere. And this is when the National started to receive a lot of letters. It was about 2015, 2014, 2015. We suddenly had a flood of letters from readers saying, I've got all these debts. I don't know what to do. How do I pay them off? And we spoke to the banks and we kind of said, how is it that person X has got 15 different credit cards? And some of these people really did have 15 different credit cards. On very small salaries often. Very small salaries, huge, huge amounts of money. And it was staggering. How does someone have so much debt? And how do they have so many debt products attributed to such a small income? We wrote a few stories and then we got even more letters. And then it was, well, how do we actually move this on and at this point there's only so many times you can write the same story which is how we set up the debt panel because we thought we need to start giving people advice we can't phone every bank and try to solve their problems for them but we can try to give them constructive advice to try and move their situation forward and stop them from going to prison fleeing the country which unfortunately is something that happened on a a regular basis. And that is why you need an insolvency law, because people had no option. They had nowhere to go. Well, that's a very good assessment to uh, how we got to this point in time, Alice. Whether this insolvency law will help all of those people, as you say, remains to be seen. Some people will take a mature view and try and take off, uh, pay off their debts. Others will be in such debt that perhaps it's it's not feasible to, to pay it off. I mean, just this week, we're speaking to um, families and schools about how common it is uh, to use a credit card to pay off school fees. And that it, that's quite a normal thing here, Rory, and that's partly because some of the credit cards, you can actually borrow the entire school fee amount and you can pay it in zero rate installments. So that's not... That's not a that's a kind of controlled way of paying your school fees. But yes, if you're then spending higher amounts on that credit card and, and not paying it off, then you're going to fall into the problems. Uh, again, these aren't these are only bad things if you if you can't manage them. Um, you can build up sort of air miles points and and sort of bonus points and things like this. But if you're using credits and credit cards to do that um, regularly and not keeping on top of it, you can find yourself getting into trouble. Absolutely, and we you know we had our first edition of the podcast last week, and that was looking at financial resolutions and how to make them last the whole year. And we had a reader that wrote in that said, "Oh, great, you know." And he actually specifically wrote, "With credit card payments, it's hard to make any kind of plan." And that's a situation where someone's entire income is just being swallowed up by credit cards every month. And with that particular person, it probably means they're only paying off the minimum balance every month. And so the overall total is racking up. And then you start factoring in compound interest where you're paying interest on top of interest. And the situation spirals out of control. And then you're taking on a consolidation loan. and, and, And the whole thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how you end up writing to the debt panel. And that's potentially, if you start missing payments that's when you need to start thinking about the insolvency law and how that might help you. I think at this point, Rory, we need to ask Matthew Dyson from Pinson Masons how the law is really going to help people in the UAE. So, Matthew, how exactly will those struggling with their debts uh, make use of the new insolvency law? What the law does is provide a formal structure for debtors and creditors to agree a reschedule of the financial obligations of that debtor. Uh, Obviously, it's always been possible for you to have discussions, negotiations with your creditors. But the problem with that is that if you go to, say, one of your creditors and say, look, I'm struggling, that that creditor will say, well, where are you with your other creditors? Why should I accept this? What are they accepting? Etc. So what this um, new law does 
is allow a court-led uh, procedure to put in place a formal mechanism by which debtors, with the assistance of a court-appointed expert, can bring their creditors together and put forward proposals for settlement of financial liabilities across the group of creditors. But there is so, there are two options, though, aren't there, Matthew? Because you can either have a repayment plan put together by through the court-appointed expert, or you can... If, if that's not going to, if, if that's something that you can't afford to repay, you can actually go down the insolvency route as well. Yes, exactly. Yes. Ultimately, there are circumstances where a formal a bankruptcy or insolvency and liquidation, as the law refers to, process will be required. Yes. So for somebody who's in trouble, when should they get in touch with the court? When do they first approach them? In re- under the law, some of the no- court notifications are mandatory within a particular timescale. So in relation to the insolvency and liquidation process, if you have failed to meet your payments for a period of 50 consecutive working days, then the law states that you shall apply to the court in relation to an insolvency and liquidation process. So there's a positive obligation on a debtor to do so in those circumstances. In relation to the financial settlement plan, This one's a little bit different in that debtors need to really have a a sort of sit down, I guess, and work through their liabilities and when things are going to fall due to see at what point they might need to appoint or they might need to apply to the court for this financial settlement plan. Because what the new law also does, as well as putting in these two mechanisms, it codifies penalties for not taking certain actions or for taking certain actions when you should have done. So, for example, you know, if you know you are struggling and you decide to turn to one of your creditors and say, look, you're making the most noise, you're making my life the most difficult, I'm in real trouble, I'm going to pay you off to the detriment of your remaining creditor group, then there can be um, punishments for that. That's what's commonly known as a a preference, preferring one creditor um, to the detriment of the whole then you really need to contact the court again and go through that process so that you're then satisfying all your creditors. Uh, yes, exactly. That's right. Could, could I ask, um, Matthew, the, firstly, you know, to the ordinary listener and reader, this, this sounds like a bit, quite a daunting prospect. I mean, firstly, do you imagine a lot of people in debt will willingly put themselves into this system, as it were, And the other thing I was going to ask is what the process actually looks like in practice. Is it me and somebody from the court and someone from each of the banks that I owe sitting down together? Is it a sort of a written agreement that everyone gets involved in? I'm just wondering how these kind of negotiations play out. So in terms of your first question, it's a difficult one because there is a stigma attached to bankruptcy and insolvency in general. People will be still daunted by the process of bankruptcy and insolvency, and, it, and they're right to be. It is, a, it is a daunting process that will have repercussions on their everyday life and, and, and lifestyle and that of their families. But at the same time, where you, if you consider where we are now with the threats of you know, police uh, reports and, and, and jail time for bounced checks or unpaid financial liabilities, you know, if it were me, I'd certainly consider uh, this new law or the procedures under this new law rather than kind of burying my head in the sand and waiting for someone to make a police report. Absolutely, because this is, this is very key because in the past, if you had lots of debts, you had to service those debts and you couldn't actually sustain your normal life. Under this system, you go to the court, you sit down with the court-appointed expert 
they analyze all of your financial situation. So they look at, you know, your everyday expenses. So they make sure that within that repayment plan, you're not only paying off your creditors, you're paying off your banks and everyone that you owe for credit cards and loans, but you're also actually meeting your day-to-day expenses for your family. And, And what this allows you to do is to keep your job, keep working, keep supporting your family and pay off your creditors without them haranguing you on the phone every day. So that although it sounds scary, Rory, it's still a very positive thing. I think that's very significant, the fact that you are not in trouble with the police and you are still working. You are still taking in a salary, perhaps your husband or wife is as well. You're still working and you don't have this kind of you know, legal threat over your head as it were. You're, you're not a, you don't have a police criminal case against you. Exactly. But in terms of the nitty-gritty of actually how you approach court, Matthew, can you just talk us through how someone should go to the court, what documents they need, and, and how the process might work for them? Um, the law is very helpful in that regard. It's very prescriptive and sets out in detail exactly what is required. Basically, you're asked to present to the court a statement of your uh, assets, liabilities, incomes, expenditures, together with statements of your uh, everyday expenses, and then a proposal to settle your liabilities. It's at the discretion of the court to ask for any other um, supporting documents. And how much will it cost? I mean, will it cost the actual debtor? Yes. Um, And at the moment, the law uh, refers to the debtor being obliged to either make a payment of a sum of money to the court to hold on account of costs or obtaining a bank guarantee for those costs. Now, there is a third option, um, and at the court's um, discretion, at the request of the debtor, the court may postpone the requirement for that posting of fees. So it is at the discretion of the court. What we do know is when the announcement was made that the law was coming into place, that the fees would be uh, of a proportionate nature. Well, that's very good news. Thank you very much, Matthew. That, that's a, a positive step. With that in mind, Matthew, we're going to turn to a listener's question. Uh, somebody's written onto, into us with their, their issue, and we'll see you know, how possibly this new law might be able to apply to them. So AF from Dubai has written, My husband has five credit cards and I have one bank loan. We have been paying the minimum balance on the cards every month for three years. To clear some of the cards, I took on a loan to cover our expenses, such as my daughter's education, as she was in college. We were managing all of this without any cases or disputes with the banks. However, because we were only paying the minimum balance, the interest was very high and the amount did not decrease. Today, we are in a bad situation as I lost my job last month and we do not know how to pay the loan and the cards. We need legal advice on this. The amount we owe on the loan is 175,000 dirhams, and then we owe 200,000 on the credit cards. That's a lot of money. So somebody like this, is, is this where the insolvency law comes in? Because it sounds like they're going to start missing repayments. So should they, as a couple or maybe individually, approach the court? Well, in the first instance, I would advise them to seek independent advice, yes, to see whether this new law can be of assistance to them. But it certainly does sound like the they may benefit from uh, this new insolvency regime, yes. And I mean, it, it's an extreme it's an extreme case, but unfortunately, it's the same kind of extreme case that we see over and over again. So you said seek legal advice. So before they even go to the court, because you can go to the court yourself, uh, are you saying they should have a chat to uh, the bank or to a lawyer or where should they go first? 
Um, well, I think going back to what we talked about earlier, this process can be quite daunting. Uh, and at the same time, whilst it is, in, uh, in fact, a very positive step, there are still potential penalties uh, and criminal liability attached to certain behaviours. So it would be wise to, say, have a discussion with an expert, not necessarily a lawyer, but a, a specific debt advisor, who can talk them through the pros and cons of the financial settlement plan, or indeed the formal insolvency and liquidation, but importantly, as I say, advise them on kind of immediate behaviours that they need to observe to avoid any potential, particularly criminal uh, or, or other liability. Um, Matthew, I think we touched on this before, but this is obviously quite an undertaking for a family or an individual to, to get into, going to indeed perhaps pay somebody to get into this process and then go through the court process which might involve doing this in different languages. I mean, are there any alternatives to, to this? And also, what would you kind of kind of urge somebody in this situation to do, to be upfront about it with everyone involved or to think more smartly about their options? Yeah, as a, we've sort of touched on previously, there is a bit of a catch-22 when you're looking at insolvency because here we've got court fees and potentially, um, yes, if you seek to take independent advice, then yes, you will incur additional costs. What the law allows is the debtor to make the application themselves, so they don't need to involve a lawyer. But it can be quite helpful, particularly where documents or proceedings are uh, undertaken in Arabic, if Arabic is not their native language. That being said, they are debtor is entitled to apply directly to the court, and then the court will appoint an expert who works with them. So the expert is, although court appointed, they are supposed to work with the debtor to formulate a plan. What I would say is that um, the financial settlement proceedings specifically states that, you know, this is not a litigious process. This is not a stand up in court and be grilled by lawyers or, you know, have a shouting match with your creditors. And I think people need to be brave. And I think, you know, if you've got yourself into a situation where you're, you're being called by debt collectors every day and the bank's threatening a court case and you think, you know, the, the situation just seems completely out of control, this insolvency process will help you. And there are people there who are going to help you and are going to help form a repayment plan. And if you've got a repayment plan and you're able to pay your credit cards off and your creditors and you're able to still go to work and you're able to still send your children to school and support your family, then I think it's a positive thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Clearing debt is something Samira Hassan, a single mother of four, knows all about. She first wrote to The National in May 2018 because she was receiving up to 10 calls a day from collection agents over a 43,000 dirham liability that had mushroomed to 90,000 dirhams. Her husband had left her and she was struggling to make her repayments. Her finances are now under control because the bank agreed a settlement of 25,000 dirhams after her story was published in The National and then two kind readers stepped forward and offered to pay off that amount for her as part of their zakat, which is the annual charity payment made by Muslims. Samira, your debt story had a happy ending, but do you think the insolvency law could have saved you some of the mental trauma of dealing with debt collectors? Yeah, I think um, uh, had I had some kind of an access to uh, this kind of uh, information and support previously, it would have saved me two years of mental trauma 
that I, I went through, it was uh, a horrible experience, and this brings back uh, the bad memories. I think what uh, a person in such a situation requires is, is information that's not available immediately. And it's great to see this kind of an initiative uh, on part of the government that they are offering information support. And, you know, what I went through was, uh, you know, from, from scratch, I was trying to knock on every door to understand what my rights were. And it's it's not just a struggle, a financial struggle, but it's, it's a bit of a mental trauma as well for somebody to go through. Can you talk me through some of that, some of the things that you, you struggled with at the time? Sure. So so I uh, had taken on a liability which I could not pay off uh, for a period of around six to eight months when the collections department of the bank started to call me up, which kind of uh, turned into uh, a bit of a nightmare because they passed this on after they couldn't, you know, get, uh, I was defaulting because of no source of income. And they passed my uh, case on to an agency. And the agencies are not very well aware of the law or how to go about, you know, um, getting the collections done. They would just call up people like uh, probably seven to eight or even 10 to 15 times a day just to kind of pressurize them, to pressure them into to paying up by, by any source available to them. And when you're unable to, they'll try pressure tactics. So my employer received a call as, as, a, as a result. My job was at stake. They showed up at my at my office, and not just the humiliation, but also the pressure and stress and tension of you know uh, the fear of losing your job. So I went through all of that till I came to a point where I almost cracked. I didn't have any option. You can't leave the country in such a situation either because you have a travel ban and and uh, what else. So that's the point where I felt that you know just to put an end to the whole situation, there's nothing else to do but to you know turn myself in uh, to the police and probably spend a couple of nights in jail. And that's the point where I had absolutely no hope when I was calling up a few of my friends. And he said, before doing that, just as a lost resort, reach out to the newspaper, to the media, maybe like, you know, they'll be able to help you out. And I think that's what I did and how I got, uh, by the grace of God, got, some, got a reply from, from you, Alice, from, from uh, the National, to, uh, to do a story on my, my situation. Also, yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. mean, if, the thing is, Samira, is that debt collectors are there. It's their job is to recover the debt. And I yeah. think people forget when they're dealing with debt collectors, it's that they start to try and negotiate with them. But essentially, they are there to collect the debt. At that point, once you're dealing with the collectors, you've already lost because you're no yeah. longer de- dealing with directly with the bank. You're dealing with a set of people whose only objective is to get the money recovered. So yeah. as you say, you contacted us because there was nowhere else to go at the time. There is now somewhere else to go. But as you say, you know, with, with, by contacting us, you, we were able to kind of help solve that for you. And can yeah. you talk about how that kind of changed your, how, how it made you feel when we did manage to resolve the, the case? It was a it was a huge relief. To be honest, I was not expecting any kind of reply from any of the newspapers I'd written to. And when the National reached out to me to help me out, you know, kind of connect me to lawyers and help me understand my rights and what are the kind of authorities you can turn to which uh, could help. But then uh, non-existence of those, I think, was the main issue. It was a huge relief. I was not expecting my case to be resolved in the way that it did get resolved. I had hoped that I would be able to get to the bank, go back to the bank again, proper rescheduling of my actual principles. And you got very lucky because it doesn't happen very often where readers step in and offer to pay off somebody's debt. And it was a unique situation. I suppose the message here is, if you'd had the insolvency law option, would you have gone down that route? Would you have gone to the courts and tried to resolve the matter that way? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I would have turned to that route definitely had I known that something like that existed back in the day. And I could have done more had I had all the information and known more. I would have negotiated with the bank better and I would have been in a better mental state at least, um, which kind of, you know, uh, affects your personal life and your professional life and everything. So those two years, I think I could have worked on my career to get a better opportunity or maybe like, you know, had done stuff that I couldn't because of the mental trauma. I think this is something that will be welcomed by a lot of people like me. Exactly, because the insolvency law would allow you to continue working uh, and continue boosting your career and still being able to repay that debt and settle it. Thank you very much for talking to us again. Thank you this week to Rory Reynolds and my guests, Matthew Dyson and Samira Hassan. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf@thenational.ae. Remember that PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to get weekly updates. And if you could do me a huge favor, do leave a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. I've been your host, Alice Haynes.